welcome to episode 770 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 770 of I Am Talk with Coach John Euston and Bevan James. Oh, you're back to the pool. Back to the pool this morning, all by my lonesome. What do you mean? No one turned up? No one turned up. I was going to a different pool and it's, uh, it was a 15 minute drive, which is quite an inconvenience to me. My, recent, my normal pool is one kilometre from home over summer and the other pool is about a five minute drive. Here's the question I have for you. Yes. When Metro... Centre opens, does that become your new pool? Absolutely. Day one, we are claiming lanes. So we've got, we've got a, we don't have a 50 metre pool in Christchurch. We have got a crappy outdoor one. Um, we've got a bunch of 25s, but there's no 50. And they're building a facility which is absolutely phenomenal in the centre of town. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Definitely straight on there. You can't, how, how, can't what, be a 50 metre. What was the story of the lanes? Like, how do they work the lanes at a pool like that? Because I imagine it's going to be pretty popular. Yeah, they'll have some swim clubs in there, but the 50 metre, they'll probably have the, the bulkhead in it halfway quite a bit of the time, so okay. there'll be plenty of space. Okay, good times. So You'll be back down there. Oh, I can't wait, in John. the J squad. <laughs> What's the J? Is that like really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the real Muppets, is it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thanks for backing me. <laughs> in the J squad, yeah. I'm talking proudly brought to you by... Our fantastic patron. We've got Peter the Bionic Man Mills. James the Trawler Slade. And then we've got Neil, Lord Flashheart Thompson. In this week's show, we've got some news. We've got Hot Topic of the Week. We've got Pro of the Week. We've got an interview. We have talking with Daniel Backengard, who, if you guys recall, he was one of the ones in the mix at the St. George 70.3, but he had got an infringement on the bike. You'll hear a little bit more about that later on, but uh, he is definitely a name to watch. Okay, so we had a challenge, how do you say that? Riccone, I think it Riccone, is. Riccone, Riccone. Uh, surprisingly, Sebastian didn't take it out. He did not, but this is his comeback um, after comeback. Ba- battling a bit of an injury and it sounded like he swam terribly. It did, it did sound like in the swim they did some sort of even rolling start with the pros. Like, I don't think they oh, all really? started with the together. pros? Yeah, well, just a co- it was a COVID um, oh, requirement, okay. so just I, I couldn't find out exactly what happened, but it sounded like that. But even so, he swam abysmally. He swam twenty nine twenty five compared to well, most of the field were about twenty sixes. Yeah, twenty sixes, twenty sevens. He biked pretty much the same as, as the others, but I think he was fourteenth off the bike. But then he ran a really good one eleven oh three to run himself up into third. Still slower than predicted overall. It's interesting to watch his career and his how he would race a race. Always been an average swimmer. Mm-hmm. Early on when he won X the bike. Mm-hmm. And then kind of strong runner but not a great runner. Mm. And then he realised he needed to become a better runner. He's done it. Mm-hmm. But he you know in this race the bike was nothing really was it? Yeah, well, I think everyone else has lifted their bike game as well. Yeah. So maybe his bike has maybe slipped ever so slightly. But he was like, he was one of the exes, wasn't he? Yeah, for a moment know, there. You know, but now you think you've got Sanders, you've got Joe Skipper, you've got Sam Long. All these guys are weapons on the bike now, and usually come from a, from a weaker swimming position. So he's got probably a bit more company. But certainly the times when he won Kona and when he was right up there. Um, 
probably, I don't know, was that about 2014? Uh, maybe a little bit later than that. Maybe. We, we, I don't know what year no, he won. probably it. was about 2014. Find, find out what year he won, okay. Karen Bevan. But that back then, you know, he was, right, I've got to get a nice big lead off the bike and then hang on the run. So he got he got third. Pablo, Pablo Gonzalez was first, uh, second, and Thomas Steger from Austria swam a 28.40, so he had a pretty poor swim as well. He rode a 2.12.23, then ran a 108.19. I'll repeat Jeez. that. It's a 10819 for a 352.34. That's an insanely fast run. Before we, before we look at the females, first of all, he did win it in 2014, so well done. Oh, who, who do you think is the most dominant cycle winner in history? Norman was. Norman Stadler. Yeah, it was, doubt. wasn't it? Mm. it but that was unbelievable. He did it twice too, didn't he? Yes, he did. There's, but there's been other dominant cyclists that haven't necessarily won, but he was a dominant cyclist that could run. So you had other guys, Jürgen Zack never won in Kona. He did well, but he was a weapon. Oh, Hal Regal was probably the, is the other one. Yep. Uh, and he won twice, he won. didn't it? He won either once or twice. Yep. But, and then he got run down by Mark Allen one year when he was like 13 minutes in front and wow. Allen caught him uh, towards but Norman, the end. Norman did the year I did it, wasn't it? It was the year I did it, 2003, was it? Right. And uh, it was just a horrible, horrible day. It goes down to maybe one of the hardest days ever. And he just, he got, he was about 15, 18, he was 18 off the bike, wasn't he? Something stupid like that. Mm. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah. No, he was a beast. And he just, yeah, and he, he wasn't an amazing runner, but he could run about three hours, couldn't he? Oh, no, he was quicker than that. Was it no, no, he, was, he was a pretty solid runner. Yeah. So, and then on the female side of the weekend, we had Sarissa Devers. Uh, she's been in great form lately, taking it out by six minutes over India Lee and Martina Bernardi. Uh, what you've got here is looking, uh, okay, the front wheel. He's, is he wearing something on his jersey? So this is an Olympic, uh, uh, a tour rider has come to the sport. Adam Hansen has switched over to triathlon. Used to be a fantastic cyclist. Uh, rode a gazillions of um, grand tours. and Was also, he decent? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he won stages. I'm pretty sure he did. Okay, so he's a pretty quality rider. Anyway, he switched over to triathlon and he's trying his hand at it. And uh, yeah, Peter Colson sent through a picture or a little video clip of him riding in this challenge race at the weekend. First of all, he is forward on that bike, isn't he? he yeah, there's a number of things going on here. Because um, his error is actually not that low, is it? Yeah. So he has really got his... He's got the sort of the praying mantis position, but he's a really, really forward on it. So his... His his face is almost touching his hands. Yeah. So and he's really because he's not low. It's almost like he's actually if you look at his body, it's almost like horizontal to the ground. He's not. His head and um, shoulders aren't lower than the hips. It's actually just a straight line. His face is basically kissing his hands. Yeah. Uh, And so that's one thing. And then he's really forward on his seat. And then the final thing that was picked up on, he's either put on an enormous amount of weight and his belly is seriously hanging down through his top or or he may have some sort of fearing underneath there um, because I, I don't know if it's actually illegal to have a fearing on your back but you certainly see can see that in motorcycle riders and things like that when you can have something in your back and it makes it more no, but I think, no, uh, is that or more or is that the um the like um, the crash device they have. Don't know because they have these crash devices now, which are all like an earbag for motorcyclists. Mm. I actually watched on YouTube recently a guy who was showing you the difference between the, the cheap ones and the best ones, mm. and they're life-saving devices. Mm. And I think maybe that's what the motorcyclists are wearing nowadays. Well, this is on their back. Yeah, but, but anyway, I think, I think it, basically it pops open. Right. But it might might be it's probably error as well. But anyway, whatever he's got going on underneath there, he's either got something down his top, he's got some sort of aerodynamic fearing down there or something going on. But the other thing I'll say about Adam Hansen is he's working on some crazy, crazy bike design. Maybe talk about that um, further down the track, whether it's going to end up being legal or not, but it's like a 
if you've seen those Diamondback bikes that got ridden by, I think it was Vi- Michael Weiss, I think it was, um, where it's like these massive big blades, uh, it's even way, it's very futuristic. So oh, really? interesting. Oh, okay, I can see it here. Yeah, that's out of it, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, wow, fascinating. Okay, so that was our challenge. We had challenge, and now we also had our Aust- Australian Ultraman uh, race happen over the weekend as well. 10 kilometre swim, 421.1 kilometre bike, and 84.3 kilometre run. So they do it in the same format that they do over in Hawaii, where you, you swim on the first day, so you do your 10k swim, and then you do a bike. Uh, and then the second day, you do the big bike, and then the third day, you do the double marathon. At the end of day one, John McCann was uh, leading in 717, um, and first female was Kate Bevilacqua. Um, and the fastest on day two was Shane Kent. He rode, uh, what was his total time? 7.44, which was 20 minutes quicker than everybody else. Uh, and what a Kate Bevelacqua rode. She rode an 8.27. And then the final day, the double marathon, it was, fastest time it was Marcus Brown. He ran a 6.57. That's pretty solid. It's under 3.30. So it's basically running five-minute Ks for, for everybody in the metric world um, for a double marathon after you've had those pretty tough first couple of days. Kate Bevelacqua ran a 7.25. Overall, once all was said and done, was Shane, Shane Kent, Kent took it out. 22 hours, 32 minutes, winning by around about <clears throat> 35 minutes over Shane Murphy. Marcus Brown in third. Kate Bevelacqua fourth overall and first female. Second was Rachel Matthews and third was Annette Eastwood. They had... 24, no, 32 finishes at the end of it. What did they have on day one in terms of starters? They had, geez, that's a high start rate, 33 starters, 32 finishes. Okay, one thing that, that's was, impressive. that was interesting, so it was actually a pretty close race, so Shane Kent took it out by about 35 minutes, and it was only 10 minutes back between second and third, but Kate, she did win the females race quite comfortably, but she was only... Eight seconds behind the third place male. Nice. Yeah, so he must have passed her in the last part of the run. Mm. Now, do they start at the same time? What do they do? Yes, I think. I oh, believe okay, so he would have been ahead of her. In yeah. The, okay, so yeah, time-wise, she was only eight seconds away from third place overall. Yeah, good times. She's done quite a few of these now, hasn't she? She has. Yeah, she does quite a few of these races. Okay, so there's, if you are looking for a crazy race, you can look at it in your Australian. You can look at doing Ultraman. It's a bit of a, a, bit of a niche kind of sport. Looking at faster racing, we also had a Super League happen over the weekend. Um, no, we didn't. We've oh, no, we had up. announcements. God, I gave, gave you extra time today, Bevan. I turned up late and your peas. You haven't been peeing enough, Bevan. Well, I was looking at the other article you sent through. But anyway, okay, so what's coming up? We've got, they've announced their 2021 series and it's quite different to what we've seen in the past. So September 5th, they're going to London. We've never had a race there before. Uh, September 12th, we're going to Munich in Germany. We've never had a race there before. September 18th, we're going to Jersey. We have raced there before. And then uh, September 25th, there's Malibu in the USA. So they're going, uh, what I like about this, it's one week apart. So it's, boom, four weekends in a row. It's at the end of the, the season. And I like the look of it. It's going to be cool. Different venues. Hopefully all the top athletes are still up for it after what will be somewhat of a truncated season uh, so looking forward to it, it's going to be awesome London always should pull a big crowd Munich, the the crowds in Germany will be gigantic, Jersey's got that sort of history and Malibu just because it's Malibu should be pretty cool Good stuff, uh, the other thing they've announced is that now that they've got the, the Phoenix 
the Theo, the V3 Knicks, is that what you say? Uh, sub seven, sub eight athletes uh, can now choose 10 paces for your entire attempt. So they've come up with a number of paces and, and you can choose it yourself. So John's doing the race, he's going to pick me in the swim because yeah. I'm, I'm an F grader. Uh, so so you, you can choose 10 people. Now, can you choose how you use them? I think you can choose 10 people, you can choose them however. You, uh, they're making up the rules as they go, which is <laughs> clearly obvious. Uh, kind of cool. Which is kind of cool, but I think our worst fear was, oh, they'll have 30 people on the bike and yeah. then it just becomes a bit of a schmozzle. But there'll be a lot of strategy around this because you've got to think – where am I going to get my best bang for my buck out of those 10 people? And I thought about this briefly yesterday. I was thinking, you probably only need three people in the swim in front of you. You know, you're the designated person if you had them. So a little triangle in front of you? Yeah, little, but you're going to want your swimmers, I would have thought, to be able to, you don't probably just want to have swimmers because you want, if you've only got 10, you've got to think, well, I need some fire, a lot of firepower yeah, but then you've on the got bike. To think, but then you've 10 for the whole race. Mm. So then how many do you need on the bike? Well, you need the majority on the bike. Yeah, and then <clears> then for the run, runs probably where you need them the least, but you probably yeah. still want some people I, to I, motivate you. Yeah. You probably still want to have two um, in front of you. So you can't, you can't do the sub two. Sorry? Well, you know, do the format where... No, you certainly cannot. Um, so I kind of think you'd be wanting to pick the fastest swimmers in triathlon. Swim bikers, really. Sw- who, can, who can bike a bit. They might not be able to do the full 180, but that, you know, if you go, right, you're doing the swim, you're axing it, and you're going to do the first 90 of the bike, and then you have a next squad that are maybe going to take over it, that will contribute less in the first 90 and be there for the whole 180, and some of them, and then you'd have some of them maybe start the run, and then you maybe have some others joining in the run. So it, I, I like that aspect. I'm just not, I don't know why, I'm just not that excited about this. Yeah, but it's one of those things that when it comes up, you might watch it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, you might, it's, it's maybe not, because it's sub two. You kind of heard about it, but then on the day I was like, "Oh well, this is awesome." Mm, I was a lot more excited about the sub. I just think because it's not done the same way we normally do things with the drafting, it's just a bit. I think ten is the right number, but mm. especially as they're saying ten across the whole race, because mm. it is now it's a game of chess. Mm. Whereas if it was fifty people, well, it's just stupid. Mm. Whereas ten does make it a bit more interesting. And it is what is that dynamic of putting people at the right time? And as you head onto the run. If you're feeling pretty fresh, because you know the the idea of this. So sub seven, you're gonna lose about forty minutes, don't you? Uh, sub about seven, about 30, 32, maybe I think it is yeah. thirty two, thirty five. Yeah, that was a, a legend on the most yeah. amazing day in the sport. So if we're, we're saying let's, you're, you're gonna lose thirty five minutes, well, if you you're gonna the bike's gonna you're gonna gain most of it, isn't it? Mm. So in the swim, how much would you lose in the swim? You're probably not. He, if it, we're talking Jan Fredino here, and he's not actually doing this. He's probably not gonna. Who's doing it? Brownlee. Oh, Blumenfeld. Brownlee, uh, wasn't it? Is it Brownlee? Yeah. yeah I think it, yeah. it's not, not Fredino. No. Um, but he's the fastest swimmer in the sport. No, he's not the fastest swimmer. He's the fastest really good triathlete. There'll be, there'll be, will be fastest swimmers, but he's on their feet. So he's not going to gain that much. Well, and also swim. in a swim, you don't want someone who's too fast. No. Because you, you still got to swim within your ability. So I'd say they're only going to gain maybe a minute. Or okay. Minute, minute or two. Minute or two. So let's well, be two on the bike. Well, how much do they have to? That's more what they have to gain rather than what you want them to gain, and they probably have to gain a good twenty minutes. Twenty, I say twenty, 25. 20 plus minutes, twenty-five. Because you're not going to make ten, fifteen on the run, are yeah. you? Maybe, yeah, maybe ten if you've been able to on bike a bit easier. Don't know. Well, that's what you kind of think. What they have to make, they have to. So do. wait a second. So you're saying thirty? We need to do thirty. Let's say you got to lose thirty-five. So you lose two on the swim. Mm-hmm. You're saying you lose 20 on the 20 bike? to 25, probably let's say 25, I think you lose 27, 20, and then you've got to find roughly 10 on the run. And you've got to remember, 
Challenge Roth is... Is it being done at Challenge Roth? Well, no, that's where the record was set. Okay. Granted, the bike is a bit, is quite tricky, but the bike's a bit short. The run's a bit short, but the bike is quite up and down. So, yeah, interesting times. Well, the good thing about it is when they first announced it, I thought if they're going to put 50 people in, it's a walk in the park. Mm. But with this, you do go, mm, it's not a given. No, I don't think it's a given at all. Good stuff. Not much coming up this weekend for racing. So let's look at John's ITU update. The season is back. It is. Kicking off in Yokohama this weekend, which kind of seems a bit crazy to me. Um, that, but John, anyway. before the show goes, the Olympics can't be happening. It can't be happening. It's happening, surely. John. It's too much money. Anyway, so it's on in Yokohama this weekend. Um, it's quite an interesting field. First up, there was a bit of a, a ruckus on social ruckus. media over here the other day because there's no Kiwis going over there. And Hayden Wild kind of wanted to be there to be racing. And why and, why not? Well, I don't know the inside story, but Try and Z, um, which is our national body, um, pulled the athletes from the race. That's so a, is that a bad like? Okay, there's, there's two be, arguments here. There's the health argument mm. and the athlete argument. For an athlete argument, surely it's a bad mistake. I think so, but I'm sure there's a lot more that I don't know um, yep. behind the scenes. But there's no Kiwis. We need a, like Hayden's a medal contender. Yeah, and he's had no racing in terms of triathlon because we've all been stuck in New Zealand. Some the rest of the crew have had some racing. Yeah, uh, there's no Alistair Brownlee, which I think is really interesting. And Pommies, if you know what the selection criteria is or what they're going to do with the Great Britain team, let us know because I kind of assumed that this might be a showdown race. Um, and maybe he's injured, I don't know. There's no Gomez or Mola, who I assume are both automatically qualified for Spain. Plenty of big names, um, Vincent Louis and plenty of other big kahunas, but it's not, I, I thought everyone is yeah, going to be here, yeah. but they're not. And then likewise on the female side, there's no Flora Duffy. Um, the, the great British girls, no George Taylor-Brown, Vicky Holland, Jess Learmonth. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a really good field and it's going to be great to see some racing. But it's not everybody there, so I'm not licking my lips quite as I, what I was uh, when I saw the announcement about the race. <laughs> do, you, do you normally lick oh. your... <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> going to be good. Belinda's like, oh, he's watching the race coverage. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just because I think there's so many, so much selection on this race. The win, whatever it's going to happen, happens there, you know, whether it's Vincent Louis or one of the other dudes, but the racing for, you know, fifth to 20th is going to be pretty full on. We've got uh, 11 weeks to the Olympics. How many races do we have before the Olympics? We have two, I think. So this one and another one? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we definitely got Leeds is in there. Um, so, and the Kiwis won't be going to Leeds, will they? Wouldn't have thought so. Well, no, I assume they probably... Who knows? Um, the bike is over there is nine laps, and then it's a four-lap run. It's not a particularly challenging course normally in terms of hills or anything like that, so it normally does come together and does come down to the run. I've asked you many times, who do you think you're going to win in the Olympics? Who do you want to win the Olympics? Who do I want You know, to win your the heart Olympics? wants. It's not you going, oh, the performance-wise, but who do you want to win the Olympics? Well, of course I want Hayden Wild to yeah, win the Olympics, so, so but that's because I'm a Kiwi. But if I, put, if I said it wasn't him, then... Probably Vincent Louis because he's the most rounded male athlete on the female side of it. Um, I'd like the, probably the you know, Flora Duffy. I think she's awesome and she's on the comeback. Trail. Why? Why is she awesome? Uh, she's just dominated for, in such convincing fashion, and she's got the all-round package. And she's worked her way from being you know reasonably average to being amazingly good over a very long period of time. And yeah, she's good swimmer, she's a good biker, she's a good runner, and she likes to race off the front as well. So I think there's actually three races. We've got Yokohama, Leeds, and Hamburg before the Olympics right, that aren't even going to happen. So We've got the course accuracy. We haven't done this in a while. I know, because I, when I was looking, 
sceptical old John here was looking at this challenge race that was on at the weekend in Challenge Raconi. Raconi. I was thinking, that's got to be short. You can't run a 108. I've never even heard, I've heard of that guy's name before who took it out, but I thought, yeah, I think that's a little bit short. 108.19 for Thomas Stegar from Austria. So I thought, let's get on to Strava and see if I can find a couple of pieces of uh, athletes that raced, and I did, and hats off to challenge Riccone. Swim, or actually the swim looks like it was a bit long, so maybe, you, but who's complaining about a long swim? Well, and also a GPS in a swim is never as accurate, But the it? times were quite slow. The bike, 91.35 kilometres, very good, and what I will say here is the bike times, they're riding sort of 210, 211, pretty fast. Now I thought the run's got to be short, but the files that I looked at, 21.05 kilometres. So if short at all, it's only 50 metres or so, which is negligible. 108. Very impressive. Do we know the fastest time ever? Well, we've talked about when they ran South Africa, Frodo and Brownlee and Gomez, and I, I seem to recall that was 109. Um, <sighs> so 108 is smoking. It really is, isn't it? You know, at the end of it, uh, you know, 70.3. Mm. Unbelievable. What's your fastest time in a 70.3? Oh, I have no, nothing special. Uh. I haven't done that many half Ironmans. No. I call them half Ironmans, not 70 points. Oh, you're old school, yeah? Yeah. We'll talk about Ironman later on, but yeah. that front, won't we? Okay, uh, what else we need to say? This week's discussion. This week's discussion, what are, what are some of the classic moments of embarrassment for pro-endurance athletes that get caught on camera? You go first, Jumbo. Okay, well, we're going to do our same technique as last okay, week. you I go think. from the bottom, I'll go from the top. Yep. Okay. I'll go first then. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is the top. Tim Don, old Swanee Noah, has got Tim Don not meeting his job requirements. Now, was that on video? No, but that was when he... That was when Hamish Carter would have won the world championship. Yes. I was like, well, get off that, because he never won the world championship. He won the Olympic gold, mm-hmm. which you'd argue he'd rather won that than the world championship, but he never actually won the world championship, did he? Did not. No. And it was after he won the Olympic gold. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to... Oops, 16 more comments... Oh, sort of Annette Intani says ITU wedgies, and she's got a picture of some females with their togs up their bottoms. Mm, good old Hua uh, Chin's got Paula Radcliffe stopping, squatting, and peeing with the cameras all around her. They should have stopped filming her. I don't, I don't think I've actually London seen marathon. it. I don't haven't seen the footage, and I don't really want to. James Thomas Scott, I believe, it was more than a pee. <laughs> yeah, it was, I believe, too. Yeah. Yeah. David Rowe has got some pictures here, and I remember seeing this footage. It was um, it was an IT, ITU race in London. Um, it was before the Olympics. It was back when Dextro Energy used to sponsor them. And they just had these pictures of the female elites going off. And these are pr- top elites, and multiple of them. It's a really straightforward uh, transition. And some of them dropped their bikes, and they couldn't jump on. I don't know what was going on. Maybe there was something in the water. And he's put a couple of pictures. One girl is on her back, and her bike is next to her, just rolling along. Uh, so great photography, David Rowe. And yeah, that is very embarrassing when you're an elite athlete and you can't even get on your bike. Good old Kath Tate's got Joe Law not being able to change her tubular uh, tyres at Ironman New Zealand in 2011. The year it really rained, someone gave her a jacket to stay warm, which is, she's got outside support here. Uh, and in my eyes, the biggest case of not re- the reason not to wear tubulars ever. I can't remember that actually. Uh, there's another one here from Rob Dallymore, and this also relates to to changing tyres. Ironman Frankfurt 2019, watching the live coverage of Patrick Langer and the lead female, which he thinks might have been Kim Morrison, trying to fix flat tyres during the race. It was terrible, really awkward uh, to watch, knowing how easy it should be. So, yeah, changing a tyre is pretty straightforward. 
But if it's a tubular and if you've put too much glue on, it is bloody difficult to get it off, uh, especially when you're fatigued and your hands are sweaty or it's raining. Have you ever had a tubular flatty in a race? No. Thanks, Bevan. (laughs) 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 Do you still write tubulars? Yep. I do. I do. How often do they get flat in a tubular? Because they're screwed much, you get one, aren't they? Uh, more or less. I mean, you can have the sort of the latex seal on the inside that hopefully um, stops them, you know. Um, Why do you ride a tubular? It's because what I've got. That's my race wheels are tubulars. Oh, okay. um, it used to be in the old school, everyone felt that tubulars were a lot quicker. So it's still quite an old school. Mate. Yeah, that's still quite an old school way of thinking. Tubulars and clinches these days are. Um, much the same as far as I believe. Rob Dallymore was just saying, uh, going back to Kath's uh, comment, that an official gave her the jacket, so it was actually okay. Mm. Very, very good. Uh, good old Barbara Harker Nelson's got Norman Sadler Too Much Glue episode in Kona, glorified on YouTube. How embarrassing for him. That was when he got his second puncture and he threw his bike onto That's the lava right. field and started crying. Yeah. Um, and you, you get the emotion. Yeah. But he did look like a bit of a clown. Yeah, but at the same time. But at the same time, it. you want some emotion. You want some. Oh, mate, you, people for do. these guys, they get one chance a year. Yeah. You know, and, and only pro- a couple of chances in their life often. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're working your ass off, and then you bloody tire. But it was, was pretty, it, one minute 15. it was pretty entertaining. Richard uh, Stanford said, Uta Pipping in the 1996 Boston Marathon. Don't know what happened there. Good on Michaeli Jones. I'm watching it here. Oh, here he is. Norman's got his bike. He's throwing it around. <laughs> He's picking a second puncher. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, happy. Was he in the lead? He would have been probably, eh? I don't know that he was. 2007, so... Okay, well, we have to, have to do some research to see when he actually won. Okay, uh, Arnold's got... Uh, if my memory is correct, uh, but we can confirm, I think Melina had to relieve himself in front of the Negresco in Nice in 88, 87. Can't find an image, thank God. Melina, let us know if that's true. Very good. Uh, Volker, the vascular Viking Voigt, Fredino in his helmet visor disaster in Lanzarote in 2016. So I'm assuming he just could not get his visor on. Ben Nelson's got Keith, uh, Chris Lieferman photo bombing Daniel Reefer's finish at the 73 World Champs. Oh, and Zalem Say. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I didn't know that one, but it's good. Last one, I've got Tom uh, from Christopher Sproul, and this is, sounds like another. Uh, toilet disaster, Tom Dumoulin, while leading the Giro, which is currently on, uh, bib shorts were not his friend. So I think we've all got those instances where there's been some toilet disasters. I know Bevan's got a few, not himself, but having well, seen, actually, seen a couple uh, challenge a route and maybe elsewhere as well. So I chose not to go down the toilet disaster route. Well, Peter, just lastly, uh, David Harrell's got Peter Reid crashing, and I think you actually wrote that down yourself, in route, and it was a total disaster. He fell off his bike like five times, and he? he just kept missing it, didn't he? Unbelievable. Um, That's my number one. And so I was kind of going down the more embarrassing. It's like the toilet disasters, yeah, it's still your fault, but I'm, I'm thinking more you've actually made an error having not been thinking straight. So Peter Reed's one, and I found the video clip. It's from 1996, and if you want to watch it, we've got a YouTube clip. It is in French, and the, it's pretty pixelated. Yeah. But about 14 minutes, 30 in, he's trying to get on his bike, and I counted three or four times he could not get on his bike. He was trying to do the flying leap. First time he, he, <laughs> he hit... He misses it, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he had his... Because his bottle was quite high up, he had one of those suspension, those zip bikes, a bit like the the diamond bikes these days and first time he hit the bottle and then he tried again hit it again and then he was like flat on his face on the ground and got up again eventually got going by that stage he dropped his bottle and he was so flustered he didn't go back to get it it was very embarrassing Jeez, incidentally 
in that race in 1996 uh, was the first time the eight-hour barrier was broken by Lothar Leader. He went 7.57.02, winning by about 11 minutes. Oh, I thought it went when all four, or was it when all four of them went crazy? No. I thought that was when it first went sub-eight. No. Oh. You are incorrect. So what happened that race? Why was that race so iconic? We used to always talk about that race. Uh, that was they all went. They broke the record. So I think they went about seven fifty one, which is what uh, Luke Van Laird went. So they smashed the record. But it that's, may have sub eight. Sorry, that's sub eight. Yeah, but it was not. But this was the first one. Oh, this is after that. Yes. Oh, okay. So that might have been ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. I'm not sure what okay. year it was, but that's why that one was so iconic because they were going for it and they broke the record by about six minutes, and that record stood for a very long time. It's interesting, I'm just watching some of the bike section. First of all, we're going back to triathlon gear. Whoever's this is looking sensational. Secondly, bikes, man, they were they were old school back in those days. You know, you clipped on aero bars even for the pros. Yes. Although, who is this? Peter Reed. Yeah, so he was on the, the he was zip on the, bike. Yeah, probably. on the, 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 the soft tail. Mm, or soft ride, yeah. Yeah, the soft ride. A couple of other mentions I've got in terms of embarrassing moments. Uh, fairly recently, this I really cringe, when Lucy Charles fell off her bike at T2 in Miami and she came in and she, I can't remember, she didn't dismount, but she just rode into a cone and just didn't crash badly, but she crashed. And when you're leading the race and it's all on camera, there's a lot of people watching, that's pretty embarrassing. Uh, I agree with David Rowe, that footage of the London ITU race was cringeworthy to watch. And then a couple of ones where people have gone the wrong way in Ironman New Zealand many years ago ended up being an iconic sprint finish. But Dirk Ashmanite versus Ken Glar. Was it, one Dirk, of them, was it, was it Dirk was the blonde guy? It was the guy we interviewed for Legends and he became the politician. Oh, Pauli Kuru. Yeah, it was Pauli oh, Kuru, it was Pauli Kuru. Okay, might, yeah. might, might I, well I, I could been. be wrong, but I think it was. May well have been. Yeah. Anyway, one of them went the wrong way. There's also been a couple of years ago, or maybe... Last ITU season we had, uh, Jake Birkwistle from Australia miscounted his laps at an ITU race and he was putting in a bit of a surge and then they go, got one lap to go. <laughs> That's cold. Like, oh, no. And did he's, he die? He's, he didn't win. He did quite well. What's happened to him? Because if there was a moment there, I thought he was going to be the next, the next big thing. Jake Birkwistle, yeah, yeah, he's still pretty good. But he's, 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 he's good, but he hasn't been consistently amazing because there, there was a moment there you thought shit this, mm. this kid's the future there's a lot of good people these days a lot of good youngsters so if they're going back to the uh, Ken Cloud so if you don't know the story basically Ken was leading the race wasn't he or was the other guy leading the race it's the closest one and no the other guy was leading the race but then he took a wrong turn and ended up running into the crowd yeah so it was really bizarre so then Ken Cloud's going to the finish line and out of nowhere this guy just pops out of the crowd yeah and sprints to, and, and then sprints and King sees him coming but it's a bit too late and it's basically late. it was literally like a millimetre on the finish line wasn't it it was uh, and but that was back in the day when there, wouldn't have, there wasn't much crowd control it was a big crowd yeah and they probably didn't have it all barricaded very well, and it was probably not super clear where you were supposed to go, yeah. but uh, it was pretty entertaining. This week's discussion, John threw out one that was just abysmal. It was, it was abysmal. But luckily he did put a second option in there, which I think is a good one. This is, if you were the Great Britain Olympic selector, would you pick Brownlee or Yee in the men's team? And also, would you replace one of the females with Beth Potter? Uh, give us your reasons why. Mm. So this is a bit of an ITU question this week. I don't know much about the female team. So, well, so Beth Potter is the one who set the world record oh, fastest okay, time 5,000 okay, yep. metres. She won the first round of Super League in pretty convincing fashion. So she's kind of got pretty good form and she's not in the team and she's not going to get in the team because they've already picked their three females. Okay, that's the discussion. Pro, Pro of, the of the week. week. And we're looking at Sophie Watts from uh, Hey Yo. 
Hey y'all, she's from America. America. And the reason I pulled her up is because she had a blitzing fast run at the St George, and I made a comment on that last week. Uh, she had the fastest run spell of the day, so I thought better find out a bit more about her because I haven't really heard the name before. She pulled off she, a third in that race. She pulled off a third, and she no, she pulled off a fourth. Oh, where did she? No, she pulled off a seventh. Um, so it's in George. Yep, you're looking at different. Oh no, I'm looking at Texas. Yep, so that oh, no, was no. Bef- you are looking at Texas. Yeah, yep. So she finished seventh, but she ran a one eighteen fifty nine. Uh, comparing that to most of the other females were running one twenty three, one twenty one. Danielle Reef ran one twenty two, and you're comparing it to the guys, and she's even she's certainly not competitive with the top five guys, but um, you know it's pretty competitive with the guys five through sort of fifteen. Uh, so I thought better find out a bit more about her. And as Bevan said, she did have a third place finish in the Texas seventy point three, where interestingly she didn't have that uh, the fastest run split, and that was her first seventy point three. Well, and also if you look at that, the girl who got second did a one fifteen. She's a weapon runner as well. Yeah. But so Sophie Watson that race she only ran a one nineteen, which is was more comparable with uh, some of the other females. So it seems like in she's first race she did. I wonder if she overbiked a little bit and suffered a bit on the run. Okay. Second race, she underbiked a bit, bit and lost a bit more ground, but then she absolutely axed the run. Uh, it's not surprising that she's because she's got a very good running pedigree. She did try a hand at ITU for a couple of years, but <clears throat> it's bloody hard to a make it in the ITU. But especially when you, if you're from Great Britain or from states, states just to get in the bloody team to get a start on the ITU circuit is very. Well, hard. she only really ever raced the, the World Cups. She did the World Championships in Yokohama one time, but basically, outside of that, she was only really doing World Cup races, wasn't she? Doing well, getting fourths, thirds, thirds, fourths, and sort of some top ten performances. So performing pretty well. It's interesting, but if because you know you talk about like World Cup wise, she's you know close to a podium. Uh, then when she does go to the World Champs, 39th. Yeah. So that's the difference between the, the elite races and the World Cup. And the World Cup athletes are still good athletes, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. And then you, and, and that's what you see when they come across the long course. You know, some not all of them make it, but those who have done short course, who have a propensity to be probably better at long course, their speed is electric. So she kind of looks like she's followed... A very typical running story that we hear from a lot of the good runners that, that have got to a, to a high level. I remember talking to Emma Pallant and, and a bunch of the others who ran track at, uh, at a young age, and it's just the same old story. Um, went through college, getting injured, went into a bit of cross-chaining. A lot of them seem to have challenges in terms of whether it be coaching challenges, eating disorders, etc., etc., injuries and so on. Um, start doing some cross-training, found it helped with their running, and then all of a sudden they start to gravitate towards um, triathlon. So in terms of um, her running pedigree, so Sophie yeah, Chase, so. or so she was Sophie Chase when she was at Stanford, uh, 5,000 metres, 16.19. So where does that put you on, like, for me that seems stupidly fast, but I don't really get where it puts her on a scale. It, so the other girl did one, 15 minutes. She did 15.40, I think. Okay. Um, so 16.19 pretty quick, and she's winning a lot of races in the States um, at, at a university level. In terms of internationals, not that quick, but uh, it's still, for triathlon world, that's pretty quick. Uh, what else did she have in terms of her times? For a mile, she did a 4.51. 1,500 yeah. is a 4.24. Yeah. 800, 210, and 3,9.17. So good runner, and only done two... 70.3 races, and to get a third and a seventh in a very quality field. If she puts all three disciplines together, 
she could be certainly one to watch. Her name's Sophie Watts. She was used to be Sophie Chase before she got married. Uh, keep an eye on her. Okay, uh, John, we got an interview. You did an interview earlier than I then the show started. Who we got? We've got Daniel Backergaard coming your way. Here he is right now. So I'll just get into it, and um, it's not live or anything, so we can, uh, you know, if we need to edit anything out, we can do. So, and if uh, if I talk too fast for you, just let me know. Yeah, I'll do that. Thanks. Righto, team. Uh, on today's show, we've got Daniel Backengard, who some of you will have seen racing at the St. George 70.3 uh, a couple of weeks ago. Did his first 70.3 in 2018 to learn the ropes. Uh, 2019 went amazingly well winning a 70.3 and then the following weekend went on to win on debut at Ironman Austria had a 15th in Kona 2020 was a pretty much a write-off for all of us but then so far this year uh been over to Dubai smashed the Dubai 70.3 winning that uh also had his tried his hand at Super League and then as I said he was in the U.S. uh racing in St. George going head-to-head with Sanders um a couple of weeks ago so welcome along to the show Daniel yeah, thanks a lot, John. Nice of you to have me. Um, before we start with the, the triathlon talk, um, tell us a bit about where you're from uh, in Denmark and obviously you know, the status of triathlon in Denmark. So I'm from uh, I'm from a, a very small town called Ustøge, uh, around about, I'll say, 30 minutes outside of Copenhagen. Um and I was brought up there in a, in a very nice environment. Um, yeah, started uh, started swimming uh, just because my, my mother told me to to be able to swim fifteen hundred meters uh, without on my own uh, before I could stop. And uh, I honestly, the first couple of years, I hated it. Um, I hated swimming. But then all of a sudden, I had a I had a coach who uh, who were very very good at teaching me uh, yeah the nice parts of sw- swimming actually and also uh, put some motivation in my in my head and um, and yeah then I I didn't stop for, for uh, yeah for a couple of years um, I haven't really stopped uh, yeah so far so uh, yeah I've, I've really enjoyed uh, my childhood and uh, also my my club swimming days um, and I got to be a part of the uh, youth program in uh, in the Danish Triathlon Federation. Um, yeah, I had I had a coach, Michael Kruger, who was um, at that point just stepping down as the uh, national head coach, and then started a uh, local club uh, club triathlon, the the youth program there, and and I got to be a part of the first kind of youth uh, test program. Um, and, uh, and that was, yeah, that was a big thing for me, um, to be able to learn from, from the best in Denmark and, and obviously he knew everything and knows everything about triathlon. And that was, that was fantastic to be in a, in an environment with, uh, nice people who just knows their craft and knows everything about what I wanted to be, to the, be the best of. So, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that part. So in terms of the, the swimming career, was that ever a path you were going to carry on with or did you kind of swim in your high school days and, and then th- did you ever think about taking swimming to the next level and trying to make the Olympics or, or anything like that? 
Yeah, for sure. That I, I was was in a very competitive environment. Um, I swam with alongside some of the biggest talent Danish swimming have ever seen, um, and that was a huge um, motivation for me because I could see what it took and I could see how good they were and how good I wanted to be myself. Um, and then I broke my arm just before getting into high school. Which started kind of me wanted to pursue other uh, sports because I started uh, running and and cycling as a part of the rehabilitation and I really liked the the fact that you could be outside on your bike with your friends and enjoying nature while smashing the workouts and yeah. I really liked that part um, seeing seeing Denmark. Um, at, in a, in a way I haven't seen seen it before, and as a fact now I feel, actually feel very sorry for people who are not uh, riding <laughs> their bikes and seeing the nature and seeing what Denmark really have to offer and other countries have to offer because I think it's actually the best parts uh, or the best way to see uh, to see the the area you you're living in. Um, I really much enjoy that. Excellent. Um... Now, I looked at your your career at sort of the ITU level. Um, it looked like you did quite a bit of junior racing and then did a little bit of um, sort of elite racing. Why did you not sort of pursue the ITU path? You know, you're, you're a good swimmer, so that's obviously uh, one hurdle you can overcome and you're clearly showing now you can, you can run well. Um, so, so why didn't you sort of stay on the, the ITU path? Um. Yeah, for for multiple reasons. Um, one of them was the fact that I had a couple of years. I started university. I moved away uh, from from my um, from my family and friends and all that, so changed locations. And there was this thing called partying, and <laughs> you know the usual. Um, and I started pursuing that a little bit more, um, which were definitely not the the um, the right thing to do at that mo- moment. If if you looked at it from the sports pers- perspective, yeah. um, and, and that just meant, yeah, I uh, I did not do that well in training, and obviously that reflected on my racing and my performances there. Uh, so. So that meant I had to, you know, all the um, all the funding were cut, and and then I had to kind of make it on my own. And that that's that's pretty much impossible in uh, in ITU level level racing yeah. if you don't have any massive uh, economical um, or financial sponsors. And I did I didn't. <laughs> yeah. uh, I only I had my mom and dad, and obviously they also wanted me to uh, to. Um, know how to earn my own money um, so I started racing longer uh, longer stuff or middle distance because my to be fair that's always what I've been good at uh, I'm pretty strong on on longer intervals and longer searches and not really those high peaks so um, I started doing doing the um, doing the 70.3 stuff and re- me and my coach pretty quickly found out that that I had some 
some talent there. Um, yeah, I, I maybe were missing on, on the shorter stuff. Uh, so, so tell when you did your first, you know, first few seventy point three distances, did everything go so perfectly, or did you have any significant challenges in those first few events? <laughs> I, uh, you know. I haven't had a perfect race yet, and I, I'm not sure if I ever will. Uh, but uh, obviously, you know, it's it, it's a, a way longer than um, than what I was used to. I I, I had never done an Olympic distance. Uh, um, I've only done sprint distance, and right. you know, you go you go full on for for the first um, for the swim, and then all, also in the beginning of the bike. And so the first one I re- recall was. Uh, 7.3 Mabea. I went uh, I went hard on the swim and then I I think I hit some peak powers on the first 30 minutes of of the bike and then I just I bonked like I've never bonked before. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was a it was a very nice experience cuz I just I found the racing cool and, and the fact that that you race um for yourself and it's just another way of racing than ICU racing is, and and I really like that kind type of racing. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. So obviously, I've done some with nutrition, um, not not getting enough uh, nutrition and um, all that stuff, crashing all that. So I, I ran into a lot of challenges, but um, but I really like those challenges. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Well, you, you seem to turn it around pretty quickly because in 2019 you won, I think it was in Finland, I think it was, or um, Poland, yeah. one of one of the two at a 70.3. Yeah, yeah, and then so your your first Ironman, you know, you're still very new to long course racing. Um, what was your sort of approach to that race? You know, what was your game plan going into it? Just have a long training day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, um, my, my coach is very conservative when it comes to my running mileage. Um, and you know, he, he said to me the night before the race that when I racked my bike in T2, I had to be up absolutely certain that I would be able to win. Otherwise he would not risk it, risk an injury. Um, uh, so I, I had to be certain in order to start running. And I was like the day before I, I was like, how on earth am, am I going to know if I, if I'm going to win the race in T2, cause I have yeah. to run a marathon. And yeah, that was, that was kind of a question mark from, from my side. Um, but then when I racked the, the bike in, in T2, I, I did the math um, with the, with the chasers and also the guy in front. And I was, I was like, okay, I'm, I can do this. And then, uh, yeah, I, I believed in, in my run and, and also just made the, the right um, decisions in terms of, of nutrition, um, which I kind of learned on 70.3 racing. Um, so that went pretty well, <laughs> I guess. Very well. 
So winning on debut, there's not a lot of people that have done that. Um, I've got to say, you're, you're, I remember watching it at the time um, and there was some changes in positions on the run and then you, you went on to win. Your, your celebration down the finishing shoot was, was quite unique. So to talk us through what was going through your mind and, and um, maybe explain to those people that haven't seen it sort of uh, how you celebrated going down the finishing shoot. Um, yeah, a lot of people have been, <laughs> have been talking about that one. Um, and it, it's also the first question I always get. Um, <laughs> so, and I do understand it, you know, as, as a professional athlete and also as a person or whatever, you, you know, you only see, see maybe four hours of racing, uh, that, that we go through and, and some people th- uh, forget that as a person and as a triathlete, you have, it's only like not even 1% of, of what you go through, you, you see in television. Mm-hmm. And uh, athletes are also human beings. Um, and I had, uh, I had some struggles myself, um, which were pretty hard to, to overcome and to have taken some time and and it's yeah it's it's obviously a process and and that was one of those things was massive self-doubt and not really believing myself and believing in my capabilities as a as an athlete but also as a human being um so so that moment when i hit the finish shoot uh, it was like i went from being being in an intense bubble of of you know i was on a mission and then all of a sudden i um i kind of woke up from that uh from that bubble and and then realized what i had actually achieved and that was the first time in my life i actually felt like truly proud of myself and what i had done um and then that was just you know when you've been racing for eight hours you there's really nothing left than yeah your soul i guess um and what came came out was just pure emotion and anger and a lot of stuff um and obviously it also came as a surprise for me uh i was not i was not planning on doing that but it just that was that was what i felt and yeah it was um it's it was a huge it's, moment. It was it was unique and uh, and is a good talking point and and when you explain it, you know, it's it's fantastic. So what what did the the win do for you? You know, you, you've explained um, on a personal level, it was massive. It was massive and gave you that belief. But from a, like a financial point of view, and um, you know, making the sport properly professional for you, you know, how big was it for you? It was it was pretty big because I um, not financially it that was not that was really not what started it but the fact that uh, I got a manager at that point and um, um, you know we're just taking making decisions based on on my professional performance instead of uh, everything else was was a big thing for me. Um, and then obviously going to Hawaii, that was also uh, that was also a big <clears throat> big exper- experience and, and a decision. Um, and then 
yeah, you know, just building from that, making some other uh, solid um, performances, um, starting working together with, uh, yeah, some some top brands, and and then you know, um, it just builds from there. Uh, yeah. And what 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 one thing I actually found was that I thought like, okay, I've won an Ironman now you know now i can i can truly make it but but still i was kind of you know it's it's only one ironman win uh, i i still i want to prove myself and i want to that's not you know i i wanted to win that race but for me i have i have bigger ambitions and you know i'm still hungry so that was not that was not kind of uh, in any way um uh, uh you know it was it was not a sleeping pillow i don't know if you say that in english but yeah. um but, it's not the pinnacle. It, you haven't haven't reached your full potential yet yeah exactly and and i'm very aware of that and so yeah it, it was it, it was nice to get a get a guy it was nice to get a a very good friend working for me um starting to to do deals and stuff so I, d- I didn't have to to think much about that because i'm i'm a triathlete i'm not a <laughs> i'm not a businessman yet so um it, it was very nice to to not have to speculate about that stuff because uh, i, I want to do well in sports and everything else he can kind of um, um take care of or working closely with me about about that stuff um, and I found I found that that's very nice. Um, yeah, because you have to remember what's actually important, and that's for me that's sport. Yeah, for sure. So you, you went to Kona, and we've got to remember that you've only got one Ironman under your belt. You've got you know a handful of seventy point threes. Um, I was looking at the results yesterday, and you finished fifteenth, which is great on debut. But when I looked at the actual splits, your times were identical to Tim O'Donnell that finished in second place on the swim and the run. So you swam about 47 and a half and ran a 249. Um, but your bike was, you know, maybe 15 minutes, I think it was off the pace. So talk, talk us through your first Hawaii experience. You know, you were clearly right up there after the swim. Um, but, but sort of talk us through your day and especially how you came back from probably quite a long way down off the bike to have one of the fastest run splits um yeah so i went there only on the mission of of learning how to race hawaii um i think you you really have to know what to do in certain situations because it's another race than or it's a different race than any other race uh so the whole day was just a one big learning experience um and i got yeah (laughs) I got a learning experience for all of my money. Um, so I, as, you, as you said, that I was I was up there after the swim. And then after five kilometers, uh, Patrick Lang uh, dropped back uh, and I had to close the gap to, to the guys in front. And I was like, I, I remember thinking like uh, Frodo would kill me if, uh, if I brought Patrick back, from, back to him after he yeah. just got dropped. Uh, so I um, I went a long way uh, left uh, to the other side of the road, in so he would not get any any drag when he when I uh, passed him. And then I I hit a pothole and 
cracked my handlebars or oh. my extension. Um, so, um, so that wasn't, uh, yeah. And also my, my gear, cause my shifting, my cables inside the, the bike, um, uh, broke. So I had, I could, I could shift on the front shifter, but the back was dead. Ah. Uh, and that, that makes uh, 175 case, uh, quite a long bike ride. Wow. Um, but yeah, that so I, I, I stopped at uh, I stopped at the uh, yeah some neutral service Shimano guys were there and and I I I had a Umbrago and then I kind of tried to 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 put the uh, the extension as tight as I could um, even though the you know the the screw had had cracked and then I I just carried on yeah um, and that was a bit. You know, from that point, I really just took the bike ride as it was. Uh, tried to ride as hard on on the on the stretches I could I could pedal, and then tuck down in arrow position on the on the rest of the on the rest rest of the um, stretches. So yeah, it was it was quite a strange kind of bike ride. Uh, I could only go like forty four kilometers an hour or so. I, I can't really remember, but around that speed, uh, and then I couldn't pedal, pedal anymore. So, yeah, that makes it a bit dif- difficult to to ride in a group or ride uh, st- steady pace um, all over the the run, uh, the bike course. You must have passed a lot of people on the run then. Yeah, I did, and that was also that. Obviously, that was a nice experience. Um, I was just about to to say done for the day um when i when i hit t2 but then i thought like i had i literally used all my child savings to get to hawaii uh so i wanted i wanted something for every penny i got so uh yeah i i started running and then uh, before the race i i had uh i had these kind of tasks i always had to think about doing during the run and also how to learn to um, to run fast and cope with the heat and humidity and all that so the run actually went quite quite smoothly and quite fast because I, I was just thinking of the next next task and what to do and kind of I was just in the moment did what did what I had to do and and then it also helps when you are passing I don't know uh, 20 guys or so yeah um, awesome. So that was uh that was actually pretty that was pretty nice um yeah obviously from the the highs of or for from doing well in Kona um to twenty twenty how how did you survive twenty twenty when there's no racing i guess from you know just surviving but also you know mentally how did you cope with the year mm, you know i i love ra- i love racing obviously but I also love training. And um, it was just the matter of finding, kind of finding my why. And, you know, I just did what I loved. And actually, I did not find it that difficult, to be honest. Um, You know, we had one race, I had one race. uh, Oh, I had, I had two races to be fair, but I had one race for the first part of the COVID period. And that was in uh, Tallinn. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I was there when it matters, and also I won that seventy point three. So you know, I, I think that also tells that we did kind of did the right stuff in our training group. We went out on just 
we we couldn't swim, so we went out on on some longer rides and just found some ways to make things exciting. Um, and yeah, I got to see the whole uh, the whole island I live on and some nice parts of Denmark. Um, and then found the joy of the daily process and just keeping things rolling. Mm. Um, not doing anything like completely stupid, <laughs> um, but just, yeah, making, uh, making sure I, I went forward in my process. Um, and that was, um, that was pretty awesome. Cool. Just, just tell us a little bit about your training setup. You know, you, you've talked about a couple of different coaches and maybe give us an example of a, a sort of a typical week for you and, and maybe a little bit about the, the team that you work with. Right now I'm on the, um, it's a former national training center. Um, now it's a little bit more uh, club-based called Trichy uh, Mestu. And um, I have the former, I have the former um, national coach, Kasper Geil, as a coach. Uh, so we work very close together. Um, and that is kind of a setup where we have this structured plan for the whole group and we are i think we had 10 people or so uh in that group uh all all in the national team mm -hmm. and then we kind of have individual programs sometimes or of setups and then we kind of meet together for our specific uh, set, uh training sessions so um yeah an example of that is monday and friday we have the hard swim sessions we, we always do the same um, main program together. And then the rest of the, on the, of the swim sessions, we do have some, yeah, we, it, it do varies a bit um, of what your plan is and what your, yeah, how your season looks and stuff. Cool. Um, and then we also have uh, Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday kind of hard runs we do together. And then uh, one, or two bike rides we also uh, we also do together. Um, so m some people have different programs, but but we just we do the s sessions at, at the same time and often on this uh, in the same place, and that also tends to get this uh, kind of nice group feeling where you support each other and and try to to be better together. Um, and that's that's something I really like. So do you, do you guys get funding from the National Federation for that or is this uh, or you guys have to look after it yourself? No, uh, only one guy. I think he's on he's doing some shorter stuff. Uh, so he will get funding from the national team uh, or from from the federation. Uh, the rest of us we uh, yeah, we do it on our own. Um, so when you step when you go from short distance to to longer distance you have to yeah, do it yourself. Cool. Right, I've got a few few quick fire questions. Uh, so, nutrition. What's your What's your race morning breakfast? I've been uh, I've been trying some different stuff just to see what works. Uh, here in St. George was the first time I had toast with um, um, jam. Yeah, and that actually worked surprisingly well. So I think I'm going <laughs> to stick to that one. Otherwise, I've tried some, some uh, you know, the rice, rice with some ketchup uh, and also oatmeal. Oatmeal, I, I, tend, I think, is, is a bit, bit, big, 
too heavy on the body and on the stomach. So I would not do that. But I think the uh, it's really not that much about what you eat on race morning. It's more the the day before. So I think it was toast with uh, with jam is pretty uh, is pretty good. And when you when you're out there uh, during the race, what do you eat and drink during the day? Um, yeah, I have some. I have some gels and just yeah, uh, normal um, uh, energy uh, kind of drinks. Very good. Um, um, so I, I always I always get some caffeine under under uh, under the race, um, but it's not you know I'm trying some stuff out. I'm not having any official partners or, or anything, so I just. You know, I, I get a Red Bull sometimes, but that's uh, that's the only thing that's actually keeping the consistency. Very good. Um, do you train and race with uh, power meter and rate and run with GPS, or you you go by feel? Um, on on uh, I I think you 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 cannot really race uh, with a power meter. I I did that once um, because I was all alone in the front. And then you obviously have have to have some kind of um, top on what you can what you can put out. Otherwise, you will bunk eventually. Yeah. Um, so sometimes on the run, it it kind of depends. But um, for the most part, I, I just do it by feel. And uh, definitely on the run, yeah, I feel that that works well. Just um, yeah, just I, I know I know what I am capable of, and and. I have a watch in my um, in my stomach pocket. Uh, I have on my on my fusion race suit. So um, so if I ever get in doubt, I can I can take take it and and look at it. But I, I really like the feeling that that just you know you're in pure race mode and no data is gonna is gonna change that. So I take decisions from what I feel in the moment and what is, I think you also learn a lot from that uh, kind of just racing by feel and racing on instinct. That's, I love that, uh, that, that feeling. Um, do you wax or shave your legs? Shave. I haven't come across anybody that waxes other than me. Um, no. <laughs> do you use any facial moisturizer? Ah, it's actually quite funny because a lot of people have have uh, <laughs> have asked me of my daily skin routine. <laughs> <laughs> nice, uh, and it is very strange because the only thing I uh, I do like consistently is um, a lot of wind in Denmark from the back rides and a lot of chlorine. Uh, I have no moisturizing uh, whatsoever, uh, but. Uh, yeah, if I if I if I stumble across something, I will let you know. <laughs> Very good. Um, if you were to train for a fresh marathon, so not off the bike, if you gave yourself maybe six months to train for a fresh marathon, what what do you think a ballpark time you could do? Um, around two twenty, I think. Yeah. But I'm not I'm not quite sure because um, we've also found out that. Um, I've always been told that I do not really have any <clears throat> any talent. Um, I, I work a lot, and I have. I was told from the beginning that my competitors have more talent in their fingernails than I have in my whole body. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to work twice as hard. 
Um, so I think my only talent actually is that I've, I do not really run that much slower on the, uh, off the bike as I do uh, fresh. Yeah. <clears throat> um, uh, and the one well, final one that I, I haven't asked you about was in St. George, you know, we, we were watching the, the live coverage and the commentators were talking about you a lot during the race and, and then you were right there off the, on the run. Did you, did you know you had a, a penalty on the run? And, and if you did, why, why were you sort of carrying on? Were you, were you treating it as a training day? So, so maybe talk us through the St. George situation. Um, yeah, I, I got, I got, you know, um, obviously I knew I had a penalty because uh, the judge did a very good job and at telling me, um, <laughs> and I was, uh, I was definitely not. And I'm until this moment, I'm still not, um, convinced that it was a penalty, uh, because I only, I only got the penalty because I, or I was in a position to to have the penalty because another guy did a huge penalty or did a huge error in his racing. Um, and I really do not um, agree on that call. So I, when I got the penalty, I was very vocal uh, to the referee about it and, and told him what I thought. Mm. Um, and I came to, uh, I ride my bike in T2 and, um, I came to transition and went to the penalty center in order to serve the penalty. Um, but I was told I, I did not have a penalty, uh, and oh. at that at that point I was I was um, you know everything goes so quick and you are in the middle of the heat and everything. So um, I just I just went on and you know. Um, Obviously, I did not think twice. I thought may, maybe the maybe the referee took back the penalty because he he could see what I meant and see that you know um, what our discussion uh, was. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that was kind of my rationale. But um, but it, obviously, you're in the moment, and also I had a chance to win and. You know, everything just goes, you have high heart rate, so everything just goes a little bit uh, quicker and is very tense at the moment. Yeah. So I went, I went on and, and just ran as, as well as I could because although it was a training day, it's, it's still a race. And when you're out there, there's no difference for sure. Yeah. Um, and then I, I got the call uh, from, the, uh, from a uh, referee, uh, on the run at uh, 18 or 19 case in that I was disqualified. Yeah. And I, um, and I fell back because, um, yeah, then I, I wouldn't, like, I, I would not, my, my last intention was to impact a, a race um, and I would never, like, run to the finish line if I had a, if I had a disqualification. I think that would be, you know, I, you know, obviously, Ironman did a, a fantastic job at setting the event up at, you know, the way they did. It's It was professional and just the fact that we can go here and, and race not one but two races uh, within a short time span, I think, is, is fantastic um, when the world situation have been as, as, it, as it was. So, you know, just the fact that I could get out there and racing and then I would obviously not do anything wrong um, at those races. I would just, uh, yeah, I, I would pull back and not, uh, 
kind of um, impact the race um, more than yeah yeah necessary. I don't know what to. Say. Oh no, it's, it's, that's a real shame because you you were looking like you were going awesome. Okay, so what what's the plan for the season? You got Ironman Tulsa coming up uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, what's your your general plan for the season? Um, yeah, I have Ironman Tulsa here in in two weeks, and then um, yeah, my plan is uh, to get a qualifying spot for for Kona, obviously. Yeah. That would be fantastic, and then um, we'll see if uh, what happens and what do not happen. But um, my my big plan is definitely to come back here in St George and do a, a good job, uh, a solid performance, yeah. and then go to Hawaii afterwards. Um, I hope that uh, I hope I can do some do the Collins Cup and uh, yeah and some some of the PTO racing because I think that's that's very nice and also have. Uh, 20 meter draft rule um so that would be uh that would be quite nice to uh, to experience yeah. and be a part of um but otherwise it's just um yeah i think what one thing we've learned from from the period with the, with covid and no races was that how important a long training period is and also that we just have to be uh, be realistic about what can happen and what cannot happen and, and obviously i or luckily, I, I have a great team who can who can help help me up with that. So uh, so from from this point, it's only getting the corner slots, and then uh, we'll see what uh, what happens. Um, but there is the European seven point three championships in in uh, Elsinore. I really wanted to be a part of if if that could happen. So uh, we'll see. Brilliant. Oh, it's been fantastic watching you so far. Um, so if people want to follow you and your progress, um, what's the best way to do that? Is it Instagram, Facebook, and any, any news you want to get out there about anything else you're doing? Um, yeah, I would say Instagram at uh, Daniel Baggergaard. I know it's a bit of a, <laughs> of a, a strange name uh, to, to English-speaking people, but uh, yeah, Instagram would be, uh, would be the preferred one. Awesome. Oh, we look forward to seeing you uh, smashing it in Tulsa in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks a lot, John. I appreciate it. Brilliant, mate. That'll be... Uh, let me just stop the record. Jumbo, your thoughts? Well, I think it's good to put a few things to bed with, with Daniel in terms of uh, when I think of that name, I think the Finnish in Austria, and I thought he gave a really good explanation of that. And and it's we often just look at things and go, oh, that looks a bit odd. But, you know, it's often a culmination of years and years and years of work when all of a sudden you make that breakthrough, oh. you know, it's, it's Far out, yeah. right to get a bit emotional. So good on him for, for celebrating. I know, I know when the race happened, I was saying that looks a bit weird. It yep. was a bit odd. But, you know, good on him for bloody celebrating and it's much better than just running across the line. Yay, put your arms in the air. And it's funny, isn't having it? Some, having, you know, it's great we've got... We've got more and more characters coming out and more and more athletes trying to be different, trying to get social media following and thinking outside the square in terms of how they're going to make it in the sport, which is yeah. bloody hard to make it back. Well, it is, but it's interesting, isn't it? We, um, it's interesting how just different cultures, like I've, just, I've been talking about how I write in my book and uh, one of them I talk about this American guy uh, who was a media person in New Zealand, and he, he was a guy called. Do you remember John Digbit or Digby? Yeah, Digbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah Digbit. And Digbit was this guy who was this kind of became a bit of a personality in New Zealand. 
mm. outspoken American and kind of for a period, it hasn't been around for a while, but for a period it was a well-known kind of household name in New Zealand. And the reason was he was just outspoken. Mm-hmm. And the thing is he coached the New Zealand basketball team mm. in like the early 2000s, late 90s, which New Zealand basketball wasn't a big sport in New Zealand. It's pretty big nowadays, but back mm. in those days it was no sport. And the women's team was was nothing. And, uh, you know, like Americans, this is a bit of a stereotype, but they tend to enjoy their celebrations. Mm-hmm. Kiwis, unassumed. Yeah. You know, like, you know, if someone over-celebrates in New Zealand, it's a bit of a frown upon, which is probably a bad thing. Um, but it's just interesting how different cultures are also, mm. you know, how they express these moments. You know, us Kiwis, like, it's pretty, you know, obviously an excitement of a winning moment in a game, but we'd always be very humble mm. in how we get presented with our, our celebrations. And in some ways I don't like that. Like, the Kiwi crowds aren't great crowds. Terrible. Go to a rugby game and you can hear a pin drop. Yeah, really, yeah. You know, if it's exciting, obviously the crowd picks up. But it's, you know, you, when you go to the football in, in the UK or you go to, like, a bloody US, like, I've never done this, but Joe went to the US gridiron game. Mm. 100,000 people. Mm. She said the game, she didn't watch the game. She just, mm. you know, the crowd was so awesome. And so just also that kind of co- what culturally is acceptable and f- how you kind of celebrate is a thing to think about as well. So, so I thought that was really cool to, to get his... Um, sort of view on that and then also we obviously had the 70.3 mm. um, a couple of weeks ago and just to get his side of the story is why he was still running along when he had been disqualified so I thought that was really interesting to hear that because we just you know yesterday in the game why is A why is he being allowed to carry on and B why is he carrying on and you guys have heard the explanation yeah it's fascinating actually when you think about it because you mm. kind of you, you think your comms could get but I, th- I think race, these I really suppose. important races well, I think they're going to need to have the officials having um, uh, cameras on them, I think, to get conclusive proof that the, the officials are getting the calls, oh, getting it, the calls okay. right. Like have a GoPro on the yeah, because it's, it's a lot of stake, a big isn't deal it? now. Yeah, you know, and and we see this in you know all sports now. You know, VAR. We had in rugby. We have a you know you can do a, a video replay, a captain's challenge, and football. They've got the the line, you know, the foot, the cameras for the ball across the line, and because there's so much at stake, and as we even said earlier, you know, when Norman Sailor packed a sad when he got a puncher, you know, it's a big deal. That's his year financially and emotionally, you know, and there's not that much money in the sport, so well, well, always that, supporting the officials, but they kind of got to get the calls right. But then the problem with that is as well is we have that situation we did have a couple of weeks ago where he was influencing the race when he was actually out of the race. Mm-hmm. And so if the officials make a call, but then all athletes know that they can dispute it at the end of the race, they're going to race hard to the end and they're going to influence the race where maybe they should have been disqualified earlier. Mm. So it's a bit of a tough one, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Okay, winger of the week. And this week I'm going to say... How much did the Crusaders win by? It was like... It was only like, it was nine points. No, it was 10 points. Right. Was it 10? Yeah, because McKenzie like had missed three kicks. Yeah. Yeah, we'll say 10. Number 10. Great. This is an interesting name here. Ivan Rossi. He's got, he's got to register a trademark needed to next to his name. Yes. He's a very important person. Must be. And he's from Bastia Umbria in Assisi in Italy. Got cool glasses. He's got some lovely photos there. Nice sunny days riding through that part of the country. And last four weeks, he's done 34 activities. And last week, no swimming. 
However, excuse me. <laughs> come on, he's come through. <laughs> he's uh, in every, I think he's on every club in Strava. Yeah. Look at the clubs he's in. Didn't swim. He rode 22 hours and five minutes on the bike and he ran one hour 17 just to balance things out a little bit. Total time, 23 hours and 22 minutes. So good on you, Ivan Russi. I've got to give a little bit of mention as well to our number one and twos this, this week because... Arnold Sulikov, the sleek sheik, went a bit cray-cray on the bike uh, and did 41 hours on the bike. And then our second place went a bit cray-cray on the run and he ran 34 hours and 42 minutes. So Simon Booth was second and Arnold Sulikov was third. And just to go to the, the number 100 on the table was James Thomas. Oh, back in the game. I didn't know that. James Thomas back in the game. Eight hours, 40 minutes biking and three hours, 37 minutes. Not many places in Canada. I don't think you can swim yet. So poor old James, no swimming. 12 hours and 17 minutes. Actually, I'm going to talk about James because he sent through an email. Questions yes, and answers. answers. We've got an email here through from, who was this from? Uh, somebody. Can't remember. Okay, well, I'm going to pull up. But basically, um, Iron Cowboy. Now, we haven't even talked about this. I didn't even know didn't it was know on. happening. So he's doing 100 Ironmen in 100 days. In one spot. Uh, so so, he's, so he's, he's not doing a travel he's, thing he's this not time. not travelling around, rightfully so. He's up to day, about day 70, I think, when I had a quick look. I knew nothing about the season. Did you much, have much of a look into it? I had a quick look in. It's, it looks like he's walking the run at this stage. For, so A lot of you guys might know more than what we're doing, but he's, his run time's are like six and a half hours, so I think he's at a stage where he's walking the runs for, for, oh, for whatever reason. Week. Week. So the pace on the bike's still pretty decent uh, in getting through the swim. So he's up to about number 70. And so how long is it taking him? Well... So he basically just wakes up and moves the swim day. Was, I think the swims were about an hour and a half-ish. The bike was was respectable. I think it was 6.45, one of the ones that I looked okay. at. And then the run was 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 quite a bit longer. So I think he's a, a couple hours slower than what so he was. So about 15 hours, 15, mm. 16 hours. Goes home, has a sleep. Mm. Gets up, does it the next day. Looks like he's got some good crowds coming along some days to, to do it with him. So keep him motivated. Be so where, where is he doing it? Uh, I think he lives in Utah, I think. Why is this not such a big thing this time? Maybe we're just not social media gurus, and we probably should be tracking it. Uh, but he does this stuff not to, not to sort of. Well, he's made a career out of it. Yeah, I know, but he's, fun, he's fundraising as well, um, and he's he's trying. It really looks like he's trying as hard as he can to keep everything legit because people just rip into anybody. Like when he did that one time, where he had to do it on a uh, elliptical trainer did his marathon on there, and people ripped into him. So he's tracking everything on Strava. You can do it on live, live Facebook. Uh, so good on him, up to number seventy. So it's looking, you know, he's he's passed halfway. It's a phenomenal effort. Mm. Hundred Ironman in a hundred days. So that's part of the story, though. Do you think he's going to end up doing a year? Like, you know, when does it end? Exactly. When does it end? You know, like, beast. I'm not, I'm not dissing the guy at all. Absolutely unbelievable. But However, there's more to the story. Okay, so he, what basically happened is that Iron Man have sent him a kind of a cease and assist uh, notice. notice saying that you're using the Iron Man brand and how you describe your race. Now, I have to admit, if you go to his website, when he public speaks, he talks a lot about Iron Man. Mm. And, and they're saying, you're not doing Iron Man. Mm. And, um, and he's gone and said, I'm done with you, Iron Man. Yeah, spent all this money doing your races. I'm done with you. Has he spent all his money? Well, he spent lots of money on entering races. He's, I think yep. he said, I've spent like $5,000 entering your races. So yeah. you can just go to hell. And they've tried to sell, tell him to stop using Iron Man, Iron, etc., etc. Surely you'll be able to use Iron Cowboy still. Yeah, 
No, because no, if you read the article, and I read a couple of days ago, off the top of my head, it's more in Harry talks about the race. He talks about mm. Ironman a lot. Mm. And, and admittedly, because I kind of watched the, one of his talks on YouTube, one of his TED Talks, mm-hmm. I was just kind of interested to see what he kind of talks about. And um, and he does talk about the Ironman a lot. Mm. You know, he does. And um, and so, yeah, and so that's done. It. Now, there's two sides to the story. I totally get, mm. you can say Ironman's being a dick here. Mm. Totally get it. But then also, legally, if you own a brand, you have to fight. Yeah, totally. Mm. So there's two sides to the story on this one. It's a bit of a funny one. I I totally get why Iron Cowboy would go, give you the finger. Mm. Um, And I kind of, but I also maybe understand why Iron Man has to do this. Yeah, you do. But they're just dicks the way they go about it. It's not, and it's just some lawyers who are clueless and are just going to send a letter instead of picking up the phone and actually having a conversation explaining their point of view. Instead, they send kind of, Shitty letters, so well, it is, yeah. it is a bit short sighted because let's be honest, does this hurt Iron Man? No, is it good for the sport? Yeah, you know what I mean? Does it make people think, shit, maybe I'll give an Iron Man a try? Yeah, and if he doesn't say Iron Man, they're better off for him to be talking about Iron Man than not. Mm. It just seems a bit short sighted now. Maybe legally they have to, but um, yeah, interesting stuff. So there you go. So, well, if you want to follow him, I'm sure you probably guys know more about it than John and I do, but um, it's called Conquer 100. He's even got an app for it. Mm-hmm. You can watch him do his app. Um, so, yeah, so it's the Iron Cowboy. And it was sent through from Roy, Roy Spicer. Um, we have my notes here, John. I've got so many browsers open. Okay, we've also got here Murray Lapworth. It was sent through. Uh, the, you 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 sent an email back about this. So Pal- Palatine have got some challenges. We've, we've talked about this already, but yeah. Palatine have got... Uh, They're recalling all their treadmills. Recalling their treadmills. So there's, there's a couple of issues going on here for poor old Palatine. Firstly, they've got a, f- a screen that's flying off and just about decapitating people. Oh, really? I didn't see that. <laughs> so it sounds so you got to, uh, for those people who don't know Peloton, it's kind of like doing a gym class on, on a. You've you got, got the gear at home and you've got a screen in front of you, and they actually have live classes with live instructors. And they're supposed to be fantastic. Yeah. But what their, their lower end treadmill, apparently the screen's not attached very well and it can come off on a num- and it just comes flying and you just about trip over it. Which is a problem, like on a bike. So be it, but on a treadmill? So that's problem number one. Problem number two is it's it looks a bit dodgy in terms of there's a bit of a hazard uh, that things can get sucked underneath the, the treadmill. And there's one instance that we got sent through of a child getting sucked underneath the treadmill. Yeah. And the third it issue... It did not look good. It did not look good. And John's in your email. So the, the third thing is as well that I saw DC Rainmaker pointing out was they could be doing a lot better with their customer relations in terms of he had a, a whole trail of a female athlete who just the machine broke and gotten really bad customer service and, and it sounds fairly consistent. So they've got a few things going on. But my thing was when Murray sent this through was a child was, A, there was this toddler that was on the, the treadmill. It's like, what the hell are they doing on the treadmill to start yeah. with? And then there's like a real small toddler Stuck crawling around it. afterwards, crawling around behind the treadmill with the youngster on it and they get the sucked under the treadmill yeah. where they crawl under there and then get sort of pulled under. And I'm thinking, that is pretty shit design. Yeah. And it is a bit of a hazard. But hey, parents, maybe you shouldn't say, maybe you should say to your kids, don't go on the treadmill, don't turn the treadmill on or turn the treadmill off. Yeah, I don't think you can say to a toddler, don't go on the treadmill, but I do think you... you I think you, you can. Well, but when there's a certain age... You're you not gonna turn be, it off at the wall. Yeah, you do need to... And you go, protect. you're not allowed on the treadmill. It is one of the things that no, we... So I said to Murray, can we... <laughs> What happens if a child crawls into an oven that's hot and they get burned? What do you do then? Well, it's a little bit different. It's not a great deal different. So, you say so don't climb into the into the oven, don't child. Climb into the oven. Don't go on the treadmill. 
Yeah, I, I totally. I think it's a, there's an interesting discussion here right now because home-based gym equipment's now a big thing. Mm. And uh, previously, I think a lot of people had gym equipment which just hidden away. But I think a lot of people are being more active. And safety at the home around that is simply, mm. you know, it probably isn't just a Peloton problem. It's a problem for lots of people because you know lots even just think of gym equipment mm-hmm. kids pick up the stuff and you know and if you've got like a, a, a rack or something you can definitely lots of problems so interesting stuff um last email we've got here from is uh james the red rocket i actually got two more emails for you here john uh he's just it was interesting he sent through an email um about he's just saying i've been working from home since march 2020 and all the races have been cancelled i haven't been able to swim all this time but i've been cycling and doing a little bit of running but he's talking about some observations and there was one that i found really interesting he said first of all i don't need races to motivate me to train awesome yeah, because he's saying, and it's, um, so even with training one to two and a half hours a day, being in lockdown has quite a dramatic toll on my muscular strength, which is interesting. But why not? Like this one, I like this one here. When I was working pre-lockdown, I think he's just recently retired, yes. so he's, he's kind of got more time. And he said, uh, I would do an hour at lunch and an hour or more in the evening when I got home. Since retired, I thought I'd have unlimited time, but now my time is more precious for things like reading, learning guitar, and other hobbies. I think I've realized that training was for stress release, and I don't have to worry you have the stress release or work stress anymore. I still get great mental health benefits from training every day, but I'm not driven to do it anymore. Maybe there's something in there that could work on your show. You always have to have deep insight. I was just asking if I could do something about this. But basically what he's saying is, since leaving work, the need for training has shifted. Mm. And, you know, obviously his way of unwinding and de-stressing from life was exercise. And now that he's time rich and has developed other areas in his life that probably fulfill that stress release, the the need for all the... the motivation for exercise has shifted and it's just a really interesting insight isn't it it is and and you, you see pro athletes as well when they go from sort of being a part-time pro to a full-time pro they often struggle as well in yeah. terms of probably from a, from a different angle but they go hmm i've got all day to do this now so you've, you've almost got to prioritize things a little bit more in some ways because you've just got to make it happen and it's really easy to procrastinate when you've got all day whereas if you're in that work schedule you go right training in the morning work might train at lunch or I train in the evening it's all just quite rigid and just boom 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 job done I think one thing to add to this is this whole idea of um, what am I saying the whole idea of one of the biggest problems for a lot of fit people and athletes in general is their only stress release is exercise mm. And I think, you know, and this is one thing I've worked on in my life is that for a long period, my ex, I was that person, but it got to the point where it was becoming unhealthy for me. Whereas I look at my life now, and I've probably got four stress releases. So I've got my meditation, I still have exercise, my piano, and my kind of self-reflection work. So like journaling every night and that kind of stuff. And all those little, and, and I try to inject one of those things kind of every two or three hours in my day. So I'll get up, I'll do some exercise, I'll work for a few hours, then I'll stop and meditate for lunch. Then I'll work for a few hours, then I'll stop and play piano. Then I'll mm-hmm. work for a few hours and, you know, and then I'll you know, do my nightly stuff for, you know, around reflection. And I always think that the key to, because I'm, I'm lucky because I'm not a stressed person. And people, I was out with my friends a few weeks ago and they said, do you ever get stressed? I was in, oh yeah, stressful things happen. Mm-hmm. But I think what I do really well in life is I have this little kind of pressure release. And I, because I inject it every kind of three hours, nothing really builds up too much mm-hmm. and when big things happen I, I kind of seem to be able to keep on top of it so if you're listening to this and you are you know you know that exercise is a good stress release but it's kind of the only stress release I would say maybe try to spend some time developing other ways mm-hmm. and one of the biggest problems we see with this and this is a great example of this is meditation some people want to meditate and some people will try to meditate 
and they're just not good at it. Mm-hmm. And it's like when people start exercise. When you start exercise, you're not good at Rubbish. it. Yeah, and you've got to develop the ability to be good at exercise. And there's many kind of lessons and things you need to do to develop that. Um, and so if you're going to try bring a new way to stress release in life, except you're not going to be good at it at first, and more just kind of go, like when I give advice around meditation, I tell people, just do it for six weeks and don't judge it. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to be shit. Your head's not going to shut up. It's going to feel weird. But if you stick at it for six weeks, you're going to kind of start to get it after that. And so I'm not saying you have to meditate, but if you're listening to this and you know deep down in your life that you only have one stress release, and actually it makes you a little bit unhealthy around that. You know, it's interesting with James. He's now, what is he? He's reading, he's learning guitar and other hobbies. So he's bringing these other ways which add to his life other than just stress release, but obviously also help with their stress release factor. Maybe just aim to bring one in and, and and just go into it with the whole idea of I'm not even looking to get the stress release at first. I'm just looking to get the habit. So like journaling, I journal. I've journaled since 1999. So I, I spend about 20 minutes journaling every night. Um, it's it's a really great thing to do in your day because you're just that writing out your day. Mm. And, and, and if you read my journals, they're not that insightful. It's often, sometimes it's just what I did in my day. But, and sometimes it can be insightful, but... But more importantly, it's just that process of offloading. And a lot of people go, oh, it's just a hassle. But if you just, in the first period of creating a stress release tool in your life, don't look for the stress release, look for the habit. And then if you stick for the habit, then eventually you'll start to get the stress release. And uh, to me, if, if you can have more than one way to stress release, especially if you know that you, you're so dependent on that one way, it's a really good thing to develop in your life. So just some thoughts on that. Uh, last email we've got here from us from Aiden. Aiden is now. I need to pull up the email here. You read this out, and I'll pull up the email. I uh, hope you're both well. Yes, we are, because it's a nice warm day, and but it's about to turn to custard. So we've got to finish here so I can get home and make sure I don't get rained on. It's going to get too uh, southerly, isn't I'm it? I'm undertaking two research trials in Melbourne for people with this common condition, which Bevan's going to tell us about in a moment. Wondering if you'd be able to help me out with recruiting by putting the below text and recruitment posters onto your social media, plus giving a mention on the show. We've done that. Tick, tick, tick. Bevan's going to be putting it on our Facebook page. Any help would be greatly appreciated. So Bevan, what is the research that Aiden's undertaking? Okay, so they're just looking for lower buttock pain. It has been present for at least three months. So what they're looking at, they're doing an investigation into the effects of strength exercise for people with persistent lower butt pain. Participants were required to attend a 45-minute familiarisation session and then two uh, sessions of strength exercises, 90 minutes each, over a 9-21-day period. Uh, no charges will apply. So things like hamstring tendonitis and stuff like that. So, so I was about to say, what does the lower buttock mean? So I was thinking, yeah, hamstring insertion point, whether or not it's going to go around your glutes, but I guess if you go and check out the link, that all will be explained. Uh, and that's looking for people between 18 to 65 and have no hamstring surgery history. Uh, you can email j.ford at latrobe.ed.au. So it's always yeah. good to help with some research or oh, yeah. studies and things like that. Well, I'm, this is the one thing I'm working on right now. Yeah. Yeah, this is, like my back's great, my hamstring, my calf's coming on great. I, if my hamstrings weren't a problem, I'd be running right now and mm. not getting any better. So it can be a little bit frustrating. So I'll put a link, I'll put that on our Facebook page. I'll put the poster up so you guys can get that. Uh, John, let's go patrons. Craig, Stormtrooper, Brighthouse. We've got Matt, Lion Brown, Charlton. And George, Mr. Madman Gray. If you want to become a patron of the show, go to www.iamtalk.me, support the boys and what we do. Uh, you get a cool I Am Talk nickname, and you also get some gifts and other good stuff as well. Mm. Jumbo, if you want to get some coaching, coachjohnnewson.com, my podcast, bevanjamesisleshow.com. I'm interviewing a guy who's a New York Times bestseller uh, in health 
recently. So I'm looking forward to that in next week's episode. Uh, edge group of the week, call websites and other feedback and Gmail. Uh, I am talk podcast at gmail.com. Jombo, you goss. Big yawn. Big yawn. Did, did you watch the rugby? I did watch the rugby actually. So we had the final of our super rugby competition, which is our big New Zealand one. It's normally New Zealand, Australia, South Africa and Argentina, but at the moment it's only New Zealand. Although we are playing Australia in some sort of competition yeah. coming up. Part two. So it was good. We had uh, it was a game of two halves, Bevan. First half was fantastic to watch. Second half was pretty hard to watch, um, but we won. That's all that matters. And well, we won well because we got two players sent off, which normally in a game of rugby means you get Simbind. lots of yeah, well, yeah. sent some in for you know for a long for ten to five minutes, um, and. Uh, that's when our team stepped up. They did. At that moment, you thought game over. I was like, oh no, there's nothing we can do here. Mm. The I knew they, they, they took a penalty, the other team. Uh, that was a big mistake, big wasn't mistake. it? I was like, what are you doing? And McKenzie was. So the funny story of this rugby season was Canterbury, we've won the last five times. Canterbury, have dom- in the last, in the 30 years of the competition, we've won like 50% of them. Yeah, yeah we, we, we're, we're just a great rugby, well, we're the greatest in the world. Yeah. Um, and so. So we were pretty great. But this year, Waikato, the Chiefs, mm-hmm. uh, they have been, last year they didn't win any games. And they started this year losing the first couple of games. Mm. And then out of nowhere, they just started winning. Oh. And, and they won every game last minute. Mm. Like it was exciting games. And they, they have a player called Damien McKenzie, who's a great player. And he had kicked goals pretty much every game, didn't it? Mm. Every game came down to the last minute, him kicking a goal. So he became Mr. Clutch. Mm. Well, in the final, Mr. Clutchless. <laughs> Crumbled, Mr. Crumble. He missed three give me kicks. Yeah. And then it was pretty much, he he lost the game for them. Yeah. <laughs> so, mate, it's amazing how just that next level can sometimes, you know. And I'm pretty glad I didn't watch the Warriors. Oh, that was a tough game. Yeah, was it? Well, yeah. It was one of those games whoever had the ball was going to win the game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it was just scoring points wasn't a problem. Yeah. Uh, both teams whenever had the ball. And there was a moment in the beginning of the first half, we, we just stuffed up a try that was just a bit unlucky. And then they just went on to blitz us for like 30 minutes. And then the last 10 minutes we came back. Yeah. But we just didn't have enough ball in the second half. So good times. What else you got? Uh, sorry, it's school camp last week. Which oh, was that's good, right. How'd that go? Good times. It was good. It was a very challenging camp. In a place called Wainui. So Why was it challenging? The activities were significantly more challenging. So there was one in particular, a giant swing. <clears throat> and I'm thinking, ah. <laughs> How giant really is this giant <laughs> swing? And you go there, and there's these two gigantic light tower uh, posts or lamp lamp posts that are proper, you know, way higher than a normal lamp post. And then it's got a bar across the top, and then you sit in a, in a swing in the middle, and it's on a on a steep hill, and all the kids and parents or whatever there yank you up to the top. And when you get to the top, it's pretty high. <laughs> so if, you if, did if, it? if you go to the top, you're looking over the top of the bar. Uh, and when you, they let you drop, it's you know it's, it's bungee-ish like yeah. uh, you know you've got a bit of vertical Freefall, there, yeah. and then a massive swing, and then you've got a bit of vertical drop when you come back the other side, uh, and you know you th- uh, for me no problem. Like yeah. I got up there and I'm thinking this is wicked. It was a scary drop, yeah. but you see you know a lot of the parents they actually got to the top and they had to be lowered down at oh, a certain really? point, and a lot of the kids didn't get anywhere remotely close. So things like that were really challenging kids. Um, Boundaries and uh, so yeah, a number of the activities were challenging, which is great. So what's the, ski, what's the skiertest you've ever been? Uh, just when if you're going to be in like a car crash, like if your car's skidding, I reckon that's a pretty scary. Yeah, skidding on ice. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Um, but I was just thinking through, you know, there was and there was a number of parents that could that couldn't do it, and I just think I'm I'm so rational. I'm like, yeah, nothing's safe. Happen, yeah, yeah. Like I, it is scary, but 
I think it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so that was cool. Did a bit of archery. But I well, mate, you're talking to Bullseye Bev here. Well, you're talking not to Bullseye John. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> My archery was going everywhere all over the show. I couldn't even get it on the target. <laughs> really? <laughs> last, last shot, everybody had been. You had three rounds. Yeah. Last shot, everyone had been. Got Bullseye. Oh, good stuff. Because so Porno's good. wedding, Porno's wedding, we had a great stack, so it was a pretty messy night at the end of the <laughs> We ended up staying in this place in Wanaka where we go camping. Wanaka. In Wanaka. And uh, we went to Glendale Bay and they had a, like it was just an old hut and it was brick building. And we did it in like, it must have been like October or, I can't remember what time of year, but it was freezing. Like, mm. Probably the coldest I've ever been in my life, you know, mm. and just, but the boys were rotten drunk. It was pretty horrific. But anyway, for one of the activities, we went to a gun gun ranch. Like, oh, that's scary. Yeah. Yeah. No, but no, but it was good stuff. So we did clay shooting. We did target shooting. We did, I think we did like four different types of shots. I, I think I shot a gun like once in my life, boy, and I couldn't miss anything, mate. <laughs> I was on fire. Like, and, and like, it was total fluke. Like the clay shooting, I think we did like, let's say you did 15. I think I got 14. Yeah. Like, I just, I, and Probably again, if you gave me a gun, never happened again. It was just one of those moments. I've not shot a gun before and I don't really want to. And I kept going bullseye bev and everyone started calling me bullshit bev. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. good. My dad's really good at archery. My dad's got a good eye. He yeah. Goes, yep. Nice. Yeah, so there you go. So that's all that, Bevan. Got a bit of a, a Tommy's racing the Canterbury Road Race today. So I've got to go watch that. 3,000 metres. What do you mean? The run race? Running race for school. Where do they do that? Hackley Park. Oh, 3,000 metres. I thought you meant up. It's like cheapest creepers. That's pretty full on for kids. That would be pretty full on. <laughs> um, Outside of that. I saw you and Tommy the, the other day. Oh, we're out biking or? Yeah, you were biking over the little loop, or over a little bump over by Rupeki yep. there. We were yep. hidden. We were hidden up Monk Spur, which is one of the steepest roads in Christchurch. Mother's Day. I was killing two birds with one stone. I was getting Thomas out of the house who didn't know his mother. Is that the Mother's Day present? Get him out of the house. <laughs> and then I was going to see my mother to drop off a gift. And then we also went up Monk Spur, which is so a extremely birds. tough Three, yeah. So I was multitasking. Where'd you get your mother? I got her these, I went to this place called the Tannery, which is a sort yeah. of a boutique Oh, so you, you, on the way you got the gift? No, I didn't, but uh, I, if I'd thought it through, I could have done. things. Uh, the, the, these like fancy marshmallow biscuits. Mm. So it was the, it's just something she would never get for herself. A sweet treat. Yeah. So Ben, what'd you get your mother? Nothing. I gave her a phone call. Oh. Well, well, here in, comes the excuse. In truth, it's my dad's birthday on Friday. Mm -hmm. So what we tend to do as a family is we have a function which kind of covers both bases. Right. So I did give her a phone call. She got the presence of my voice. Mm. Could have just entered this podcast. Um, but then I also gave her a call, so we'll probably get her some. I don't know. And I'm looking, loving the Giro d'Italia started. The How's the Kiwi boy going? Well, it's only a couple of stages in, and so he's he's, he's positioned where you'd expect him to be. So yeah. it's, it's all happening probably about the weekend. Does he have a chance first, of winning it? Not really, but he's, okay. if he rides amazingly, maybe a top five, top ten to be really good. Top Is five he ever going to be a top guy? Not top, top. Not not like winning. Okay. He'll be one of those best of the rest sort of guys. Yep. He's lean. Mm. You see him on the news, he's like... Nothing. And to I've him. got my little my little league going, my little fantasy league. Haven't quite figured it out. Who's in your league? Very well. Only about two or three people. Is Thomas in this time? He is. Is he beating you? Uh, I don't know. Today, I haven't checked today. He wasn't yesterday. Good times. Oh, yeah. That's good. I got a dilemma this week, John. You got what? Sorry, a dilemma. Yeah, because the band, my, Dave and the band, he emailed a few weeks ago saying, "Oh, we might have a gig." 
on Saturday the 15th. Mm-hmm. It's at a good pub in town and a good time slot. It's Saturday night gig, so it's not mm-hmm. just some, um, you know, we turn up and hope we get two people were there. It should yeah. be a good there. I don't know if we're quite ready for that level yet, yeah. <laughs> so it'll be a bit of a step up for us. But it's all right. You've got to kind of put yourself in the deep end. And I said, well, we have got a function on that night, mm. um, but I might be able to pop away. I'll, I'll turn up, I'll get up on stage, and I'll get out and go. So, mm-hmm. but, you know, I might be able to make it work. But let me know. Didn't hear back. Mm-hmm. This morning. Oh, by the way, boys, we're on this weekend. Nice. And I'm like, back it up, mate. You can't, you can't. I'm an organised person. <laughs> you know, you can't just say, hey, mate. So now I've got to go. I haven't told Joe yet, but I've got to go to Joe and say, babe, what is that thing I had to pop away for? Because when I told Joe, she wasn't quite that happy about yeah. it. Because she's like, well, this is so and so's birthday. And I was like, babe, I'll be gone for an hour. It's might be two hours. Yeah. <laughs> so, so hopefully it's a short set. So I have to navigate through that. But, mm. you know, the bands, we're going to the next level, John. Good luck with that. Yeah, I know. Good luck with that. Anyway, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Mendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.